My guest today is the film director at Exodus Filmworks. He's also the Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Moody's College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. Please welcome Yaki Smith. Yaki, how's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Hey, doing all right. Doing all right. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, hey, man, let's jump right into this. Okay. What do you do? (laughs) (laughs) I am both an independent filmmaker and a film professor, and I'm also a dean, so I wear many hats. Wow. Wow. Okay. So all this, I guess, is probably built around being in film. So how'd you get started in that? Yeah. So I've always been a storyteller, right? Not necessarily a filmmaker, but a storyteller. And when I was young, you know, I would just write plays and poems and short things like that just to work the creative muscle. And I always loved movies, but I never thought that it was something that I could actually do because I just didn't have any of those resources around me. I know I hear a lot of filmmakers say, oh, I grew up with a camera in my hand. That wasn't my experience. We didn't have access to any of that. But when I was 11, Boys in the Hood came out. And that was the moment where I said, I want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know if it's even in the realm of possibilities, but this is something that I want to do because I saw how impactful that film was. And I knew that with my art, even the stuff that I was writing, I wanted to make a difference. And so, again, I started writing kind of kind of like writing little screenplays after that. Again, didn't really still understand it. We'll go to the library and try to figure it out. But when I was 15, I was accepted into a communication arts magnet school. And I was the news announcer. So every morning I would do the, the morning announcements. Oh, hey, the bake sale, the football game, blah, blah, blah. I did all that. And the woman who taught the class, she was a theater teacher as well. And mm-hmm. I was in theater class. And so she gave me a screenwriting book. She kind of guided me a little bit through the, the, the process of writing. When again, I had already been dabbling in it, but I didn't really know. But the screenwriting book really helped me to shape it. And uh, one day I said, hey, can I take the cameras home? And she was like, no, you really can't. But, you know, I'm going to leave. And <laughs> as long as they're back here, you know, when I show up at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, then you, you can take them. And I don't really know they were gone because I didn't see them leave the room. <laughs> and I did that. And, and that was at age 15, my first movie. And I literally, I think, have made a movie every year ever since. Wow. That yeah. is awesome. You ever reach back out to her? I don't know what happened to her, actually. <laughs> I, I, I know a few years after I graduated, she retired. And so mm. I, I just lost track of her. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Okay. And so, wow, since you've been 15 and now you're winning awards, I was, I was going to start naming some of the awards you, you've won, but it got to a point where there's so many. So can you talk about some of the awards you won and some of the recent awards that you've won with some of the films that you've done? Yeah, so I won a Director's Guild of America Award. I've been nominated for a Student Academy Award. I've won a lot of film awards. And I made two films, actually, over the past year. Three, really, over the past year. I made a film during the pandemic that I shot. The Pandemic Chronicles? From my garage. Yeah, the Pandemic Chronicles. Yep. Shot that during the lockdown. You know, I was directing actors and performances and crews from my garage. Mm. And that actually won an award Sunday from a film festival called the Center Film Festival. We won the Audience Choice Award, Congrats. which is always a cool award because thank you. Which is always a cool award because it's, it's not a jury award, right? It's the audience saying this is what we think is the best work. And then I have another film called Brother, 
and that's been winning awards. I won, like I'm looking now at my little shelf, won like a couple of best short awards. I was awarded the Oscar Michaud Award, which is really cool from the Bare Bones Film Festival, best short from the best Texas from the Deep in the Heart Festival, several other awards. I'm not going to go down the whole list. But that film has been doing fairly well, which is cool. I was actually shocked because at first it wasn't screening anywhere. Mm. And then since the lockdown, it's been really picking up because a lot of festivals, well, most festivals have had to pivot to an online platform. All right. And that really helped. Yeah. And then, you know, I did another film called Dear Bruh, which is sort of an archival film where I'm using archival footage and, and also some shot footage. And I have it underscored by a poem that I wrote, which which sort of deals with like police violence against black bodies. Mm-hmm. And that that's been shocking. You know, I was just gonna put that <laughs> online, but but shockingly enough, it's been winning awards as well. And we were mentioned in Vogue magazine, the Criterion Collection mentioned us, and so it's been doing well. So I have three projects right now that are just kind of doing their thing. That's great. And then I saw one of your films, Katrina's Son. That film was deep. Thank you, man. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know that's funny. That was the first film I made out of film school. Mm. I made a doc right after, but it was the first short that I made. And that was really a film that was supposed to be a feature, right? I wrote a feature script and couldn't get the money for it. So I decided I'm gonna make a short version to try to raise money. And yeah, man, I mean, I I love the way that film turned out. I just love the idea that I was able to comment on Hurricane Katrina Mm -hmm. and sort of pay tribute to those who lost their homes, who lost loved ones, who even after a year or two couldn't even go back because the New Orleans that they knew was no longer there. Right. And so I really wanted to pay tribute to them and really show how devastating that was, you know? And I think a lot of people think that, oh, we clean up, it's good. It's like, no, no, no. Even if you, you know, I lose my house and you another one, it's not the same house. Because I've lost relics. I've lost sentimental things that were in that home. And I've lost a footprint because my family was there and we had legacy, right? And we had roots. And a lot of people are still trying to sort of put the pieces back together. And so that film was really all about that. Right. Right. And then February 23rd in Buffalo, New York. Got your own day. (laughs) That's got to be nice. (laughs) It was cool. I was shocked. You know, I showed up. They invited me to a festival. You know, I had a I have a feature film called Wolf that deals with like molestation in the black church and it deals with a family really struggling to to come to terms with the fact that their son has been molested and that their son is refusing to really talk because he has this sort of weird devotion to his abuser because he feels connected you know uh, because that's how that works somebody manipulated him into a sexual relationship and now he doesn't really know if he was manipulated or not right and yeah, they invited me to screen it in Buffalo. And then as I'm there, they were like, hey, we got this thing for you too. And they were like, yeah, Keith Smith day. And I was wow. like, okay. But no, it was pretty cool. That's my first time having a day. I have another day in Cincinnati as well. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I just got that last year, actually. It's been, a, it's been about a year. But it's always an honor because that means that you have come into a city and you have impacted them in such a profound way that they want to honor you by saying that you are now going to be a mainstay here, that we just want to remember that you came here and that we want to honor you for the work that you brought here because of just the great impact that it had on our community. And so it's always an honor when that happens. All right. That definitely is. Yep. (laughs) Shows the uh, good work that you're doing, man. That's great. Now, on a high level, how does this all work when you're coming up with a film? Are you starting with the idea 
then you're reaching out to who the actor is going to be and what what are the steps yeah i mean it i think it changes for each project mm. some things are the same but the thing that changes is sort of how an idea comes to me right there are some moments where i'll see something i'll have a conversation with someone and out of that brief conversation comes a film again i'll see something on the news i'll read something in a book i'll read a poem or something like that and then out of that comes the inspiration for a film and it's sometimes it's just me thinking about the people that I know, things that have happened to me, interactions that I've had in the past, stories that I feel like they need to be told. So oftentimes the inspiration just comes very different. Now, once it comes though, right, then the process becomes very similar. Mm. Because after that, then you, you write an outline, right, for the script. Okay. And then you write the script. I mean, that could take you, it depends on how long it is. A feature could take you six months to a year to write. And I, actually, even longer, I've been right working on one feature for four years at this point. Wow. Yeah, because you're going back and forth, revising, getting yeah. notes, revising more, all that. Having readings, getting notes from that. Um, and But a short, you know, you may write that in two or three weeks. Okay. I say that in the sense of like the first or second drafts, because I think scripts are always being written. Even when you're editing a film, you're still rewriting a script. Yep. Because that's literally what you're doing is you're cutting things out. You're moving things around the whole night. So, you know, I'll write the script. And once I write the script, the first person that I usually call is a producer and the DP. And I'll say, hey, can, you know, I want to shoot this film. Are you available to shoot it? Sure. Uh, producer, all right, let's figure this out. How much money do we need? Um, and usually that's me being, I'm a producer as well. So that's me and a collaborator. Um, can we raise the money? Do I, do I need to pull out the credit cards again, which I've done? many times can we get a grant for this so you find all of the different ways in which you can raise the money to make it happen and then once you have a clear budget and you not necessarily have the money but at least you know what you need then you start pulling the other pieces together so you start crewing up so i need a production designer i need a sound person i need a locations manager i need grips pa sound all of those things that are going to really are those practitioners that are going to really help me to bring the thing to life Mm. most important of those being the producer, the DP, the production designer, and the AD, because those are the four people that I will probably work with the longest, right? The DP will come in way before anyone else usually for me, same with an AD, same with the producer, because they are the ones who are going to shape the look of the film, but they're also going to help with the logistics of putting everything together. So once we start thinking about that, we get dates solidified, we get a schedule solidified, and then we start casting. And I kind of cast in several different ways. Some, you know, I'll just pick up the phone and I'll say, hey, I have this part I wrote for you. Like my wife's an actress, so she's usually in most of my stuff. There are other actors and actresses that I have used in the past. And so if I write something that I think they could perform, then I just call them. Mm. And there are some instances where you can't do that, right? Where you need to actually have a casting call. So you carry a casting call, you put it online, you talk to agents, you look at other people's reels and you're doing all of that. And then you have a casting call and you bring people in, they read for you. And then after they read for you, you do this thing what we call chemistry. And it is like, let's say it's a, like brother, for example, is about three men, mm -hmm. two best friends and one of the best friends or the brother who returns home from prison. And so I needed to make sure that that relationship felt authentic, that we believed it on screen. And so after I cast them each individually, right, I bring them in for chemistry to make sure they work together hopefully yeah. they do if they don't work well together then now you have to go back to the drawing board and it's all about just sort of playing chess and moving things around and just making sure that 
you have the right fit and that you have the right relationships on screen. And then once you do that, you know, you have a couple of rehearsals with them. I'm not a big let's read lines kind of dude. I mean, I like to do a lot of improv. I like to really delve into the subconscious of the character that they're playing. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking a lot of questions. I am letting them know why I made the film, like what what attracted me to the subject matter, um, why it is so vital that they are in the piece, why I cast them, um, how our collaboration will be together on set, really just laying the groundwork for my process, my inspiration, and sort of my expectations for them. I'm not one of these directors who likes to just shoot out direction. I'm really, really interested in finding out what actors bring. Um, I'm really, really interested in finding out how I, can, how I can collaborate with them. And I'm really interested in, in just sort of watching them take something that I wrote, right? I gave birth to it, but they're going to help it grow. Yeah. And so I just kind of let them loose to do their thing. And then you're casting and simultaneously, you're still doing all those other things. You're finding locations, you're shot listing. Like I shot list every single shot. Me and the DP sit down and I go through the script. And I know exactly where the camera's going to be. I know what lens I'm going to want on the camera. I know the lighting style that I want. I know what colors I want the wall to be painted. I know what colors I want people to wear, what patterns I want them to wear, what color their hair is going to be, all of it. So you get down into the weeds of it because all of that affects how an audience receives something. They don't even know it all the time. But if I have two people sort of framed in very tight shots together, that says something versus having a camera wider where they seem like they're farther apart. If I have a camera below somebody and they look very powerful in the frame, that, that says something about them versus having a camera above them and they look small, right? If I'm capturing pieces of faces and not a full face, that says something to the audience about the character, it says something to the audience about the arc of the story, it says something to the audience about what it is I want them to feel emotionally and psychologically as they are actually watching the piece. Yeah. And so you think about all those decisions very strategically and you lay them out because I think it's important for a director to not only have a clear vision, but to be able to articulate that vision to their team, right? I think oftentimes people say to me, and I have students do this, which pet peeve of mine, oh, it's all in my head. And I'm like, I'm not a brain surgeon, so I can't see what's in your head. And, and I'm not a psychic, so I can't read what's in your head. So you have to be able to articulate it to me and the team because it can be in your head. But when we get on set, if you've not told the DP where you want the camera to go, they don't know, they can't read minds. And you don't want to waste a lot of time on set doing that work. A lot of that work should be done beforehand. Yes, things will change on set. Yes, you may lose locations. Lighting is not going to be what you thought. There's all these things that will happen. There's always something that happens when you're making the film. But the more prepared you are, the better you are able to quickly pivot when something happens that is unexpected. If you haven't had good pre-production and you're not prepared, then the smallest sort of deviation from what you had in your head can completely throw you off. Yeah. And so you have to be very clear about what it is that you want. And so, yeah, I mean, I know all that and we get on set, we shoot it and we edit it and then we get it out into the world. Wow. So it, it seems like for your team, you can't just rely on the lighting, the camera, the actors. You have to really know those positions as well. Like you said, to be able to articulate correctly what they should be doing and what you want for your film. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... A DP, don't, I'm not a DP, right? I don't shoot films, but mm -hmm. I have to understand their language. Yeah. And I also have to understand how what they are doing is going to affect my product or yeah. my project. 
or our project, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I think a director should study up on all the positions so they know what they're asking people to do. They know what their responsibilities are. And then also, if you know what you want someone to do and you understand the position, then your expectations can change. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes people come to me and say, hey, I want you to shoot this thing. And I have to tell people, I don't shoot. That's not what I do. I'm a director, mm-hmm. right? I am not a DP. Oh, I want you to come and light. The- I don't like, that's not what I do. I know how to tell somebody to do all those things, but it's not what I do. Or I want you to produce this. Well, I can produce, but I'm not a fundraiser. That's not what I do, right? People don't understand that there are, there are, there are people designated uh, for all of those positions and to do all of those sort of special skills that come with those different positions that they're in. And when you start trying to blur those lines, oftentimes you're going to lose sight of what it is you're trying to get done. Right. Wow. Okay. And now you mentioned a few different ways that have given you inspiration for some of your work. Just curious, have you ever, have any of your ideas or inspirations come from a dream? Yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. You may already be thinking about something subconsciously, but in the dream, it just plays out for you like you're watching the film. Yep. And that happens to me all the time where I'll be maybe struggling with a scene or I'm struggling with dialogue or again, I have an idea, but it's half-baked. But in the dream, when I really allow myself to just surrender to that, oftentimes things will come to me. And I think it's important, again, that, and this happens to me a lot, you wake up in the middle of the night and you need to have a pen and a pad next to the bed, or you (laughs) need to grab your phone and put it in notes. I'm usually not putting things in notes, and I'll translate them to paper later. But you don't want to forget that, because oftentimes when it's given to you, if you don't write it down immediately, next morning you've forgotten all about it. And so I do think that a, a good creator is in tune with their subconscious life, I'll call it, right? Because I think your best ideas comes from that life Mm. and comes from your sensitivity to that life. All right. And now you mentioned editing and revising, re-editing. How do you know when your work is done? How do you know you're not over-editing? When do you know that it's done and you can step away? Yeah, I mean, that's hard, right? I mean, because the truth is, even after you're finished, and you look at it in the movie theater, you say, man, if I had just cut out <laughs> more of that, if I had just moved this around, and not to sort of regret what we did, right? Because I think we learn from all of our mistakes, right? Right. I tell my students all the time, you, you must be willing to make as many mistakes as you can, because you're going to learn little gems from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I know it's done when I feel fulfilled by it, right? When I feel as though the story that I set out to tell is actually translating, not just to me, but to others. I think it's also important for you to have test screenings of your work, mm. right? Because at some point, if you're editing or even if you're working with the editor, everything works or nothing works, mm. right? That's just how it is in your mind. And to be honest with you, when you're in either of those places, it's not good, right? You have to be in a place where you said, you know, it feels whole the arc feels good. You know, I'm happy with what I'm seeing. Right? Yeah. 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 There are things that I want to change, but, but I feel good enough to put this baby out into the world because perfection is not always what we're looking for. I don't think not for me because there's no such thing. I think as a perfect piece of art, right. right? There's a piece of art that is perfect for the time, but it is not a perfect piece of art, right? There, there, there's some, you just don't have that coverage all the time or you just didn't do it that way. Okay, cool. So out of what you have, it is perfect. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just think I walk away and, I, and again, I, I let other people watch it and they give me notes. And, and then at some point you just say, you know what? 
I've taken this as far as I'm going to be able to take it. It feels whole. It's making sense to people now. I think they're understanding the characters. They feel very immersed by the story. They feel some empathy or even sympathy for the characters. They are emotionally affected by the story as a whole. And then once I feel like I'm there, then I walk away and I'm, I'm ready to move to the next part of post-production. Mm. All right. And now, can you talk about some influences that you've had over your life? You mentioned Boys in the Hood when you were younger, when you were around 11, I think, and the teacher that you had. But you had any directors or filmmakers, even ones that you don't know, just in general, that influenced you over the years? Yeah, I think I, I was first heavily influenced by John Singleton's work. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I mean, I love Boys in the Hood. I love Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, Rosewood. Love all of those works. Um, Spike Lee was a huge inspiration. I think for a while I watched every single movie that he made. You know, <laughs> I grew up with the yeah. I think Malcolm X probably was the first I saw, and then I went back to school days and yes. then um, um, do the right do things. the right thing, mm-hmm. and then you know then Jungle Fever and Mobeta Blues and he got Game and Clockers, all of them right. Just loved his work. And then as I got older, right, and then also I'm gonna call them the hood movies, right. I was watching mm-hmm. the, the Hughes Brothers stuff. Um, I was watching Straight Out of Brooklyn, New Jack City, you know, Mario Van Peebles, like all of those things I loved, or Melvin Van Peebles, I should say. And then as I got older, I started to go back, right, even further, right? The one film that really made me say, oh, I want to start watching like a lot of foreign cinema was a film called City of God, mm-hmm. made in 99 or 98, I can't remember when it was made. And I watched that film in the theater. I think I went to see it like three times. Yeah, I was brilliant. just blown away. And then after that, I was like, wait a minute. There's a whole filmmaking catalog that I have not been exposed to. And then I went back. And then that's when I started watching French New Wave movies. That's when I started looking at the Juan Carwise of the world and <laughs> the Inuritus. And then even, you know, the Julie Dashes and the Haile Garimas and the Charles Burnett's and learning about film movements, the L.A. Rebellion, again, French New Wave, Italian neorealism, right? I started to really go back and watch those films from around the world. And I think those films are the ones that really started to shape my eye or sharpen my eye, I should say, as a director, because I started to see filmmaking in a different way that you could play around with the form, that you didn't have to be so traditional, that it was all right if that camera was up in the sky or if that camera was below the table and people would look right. It was all right if that camera was connected to somebody's face. I remember watching Requiem for a Dream and that was the first time I'd ever seen the camera. I don't know how he did it. I guess some kind of harness on the face, kind of like Fear Factor style. Mm-hmm. And they're running down the street and the camera's moving all over the place. Right? I was like, man, this is amazing, right? What is going on here? <laughs> and so that's when I really started to play more with the form and Yeah, from that, I just said, you know, I just want to study as as much as I can and watch as many films as I can and just pick up as much information and inspiration and different ways of thinking and seeing as I can. And so even now, when I get ready to shoot something, I'm going back to some of those inspirations and I'm watching their content. And I'm like, how did they do that? Or why did they do that? I remember there was a film, The Limey. I think Steven Soderbergh, actually. And that was the first one I remember them playing with colors in a very interesting way. Yeah, I remember the colors in like Jungle Fever and sort of watching scenes with their, and even Malcolm X and things. But I remember in that film thinking, man, they, a whole scene is green. Why are they doing that? Like, why are they making that choice? Or this whole scene is bathed in purple or pink, right? Why are they making that choice? How is it making me feel? And once I was able to process how it was making me feel and then really begin to study why they were making the decisions, 
then I would say, oh, now I know how I can make a decision like that. Or I know why I can use the camera that way. Or I know how I can actually use lighting to really impact the audience when they're actually watching the film. And so I always go back to that even now. And, and I'm just constantly, when I can, I'm, you know, sometimes you get so busy you can't watch, but I try to watch right. as much as I can. Yeah. Um, because I think every time you're watching, you're, you're being inspired. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. And now talking about how busy you are, you're also, you said you're a professor and you're a dean. Can you talk about that? How did you get into that? And what made you think to get into that? Yeah. So when I graduated from film school in 2006, it was 2006, yeah, they actually offered me a position before I graduated to teach a directing workshop class. It was a class that was all about helping uh, directors understand the art of communicating with actors, right? How do you elicit a compelling performance out of an actor with again without dictating to them what they should be doing, but really again collaborating with them and inspiring them in some meaningful way? And I turned it down, and I can't say I turned it down. I said, "Hey, let me get back to y'all," because I didn't know I wanted to teach. And I went and I worked on a film. By the time I said yes to them, the, the job was gone. And so then they came back to me probably at it must have been that December to come back in spring. And I jumped at it. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And what I realized once I started teaching and I was doing like TA ships, you know, beforehand, like teaching assistant ships or whatever. But in that first class, I realized, huh, you know, I've been doing this this entire time and I just didn't, I didn't have language for it. I didn't understand that when I was an undergrad and people would call me, literally call me out of my bed at 4 a.m. and say, I need help with the editing equipment or can you come and watch this and, and help me figure out what scenes I can cut like I was teaching that entire time but yeah. I didn't call it that yeah and so when I really walked into a classroom for the first time and I started doing it and being paid for it I was like oh this is what this is <laughs> and I you know it's interesting because I think I started to fall in love with it right mm. I think one of the reasons why I rejected teaching at first is because I always thought that if you taught that you could not remain creative, right? That your whole life had to be devoted to your students and you were not going to be making your films anymore. More specifically, narrative films, because those are, they, they take a different sort of level of construction than say a documentary. Documentaries take time, but you're shooting them in a different way. With narrative, like you really, really need to have like that six months dedicated solely to that narrative because there's so many moving parts right. that have to be tended to. Yeah, so took that job, taught there, ended up getting a job at the University of Texas at Arlington. So I was up there teaching for eight years in the North Texas area. And then in 2017, I came back here uh, to UT. I'm at UT Austin now. And then it's been just a year. I think last week I got the, hey, you've been a year as a dean, um, <laughs> associate dean, I should say. So I'm the associate dean of diversity inclusion in the Moody College of Communication. And the film school is housed within the college. Nice. Well, that's great. That's great, man. And that's interesting how you said you've been teaching the whole time, just wasn't getting paid for it at first. Exactly. <laughs> now you are. You know? And then yeah, again, it didn't call it that. And, right. and also, I think another thing that, in my opinion, if you are a director that really is a collaborator, mm -hmm. you're also teaching then yeah. and you're learning because teaching is not just about giving out information, it's about receiving it. Right. right? I, I think really good teachers um, create an environment 
in a classroom where there is a sharing of ideas. Yeah. Right. I'm not like, yeah, I'm the ex- I'm kind of an expert, but like, you, you know, some stuff too that I want to learn from and I'm going to teach you what I got. And so I think it's the same thing of being on set is that you are literally learning and you are teaching at the same time. You are showing people how to do things in new and innovative ways. And they are also showing you shortcuts and, and showing you how to do things in new and interesting ways. And you're always learning. And so, again, I think I'm always in this mode of teaching and learning and, and, and this whole idea of, of sharing ideas with other people. And for me, that's the thing that keeps me going. Mm, okay. And you said you've been teaching for the longest before teaching as a profession, but what, if any, surprises have you had since teaching? Anything that you you didn't really think about before when you started teaching kind of surprised you? I think I had this idea of a professor who, again, was almost this godlike figure, right? Mm -hmm. They have all the knowledge and they know everything and they talk like this, right? And And it's like, I think at some point I had to not put that pressure on myself because that pressure, I remember just even in the first semester of teaching, being good, but not being great, right? Because I had these false expectations for what I was supposed to be. And I think once you let those go, and once you surrender to the moment, and once you, again, understand this idea that teaching is a very reciprocal sort of relationship and interaction. You actually learn more, you become a much more effective instructor. I think also, I don't know if I realized how much I would be learning from my students, right? right? And I think there were moments where, again, I think ego can get in the way of that, where you think of something, you know, that's not the way I would do it. And you, and it's like, so what? Just because you wouldn't do it that way and that it's not right that they do it that way. And it doesn't mean that you can't learn something. And so I think once you let the ego go, and again, you surrender to the idea of coming in and almost, I'm a cheerleader in my class. And sometimes a coach, right? I should say a coach. I'm going <laughs> to say that because I have, to, I have to get on them sometimes. Hmm. But what I am there to do is inspire them. And I think if, if I come in with this whole notion that I know everything, I can't inspire you because now I am no longer accessible to you. Right. I want to be accessible to my students intellectually. Right. I want to be accessible to them. Uh, you know, physically, you want to be yeah. to them. They can call you office hours, get you on email, all of that. And just accessible to them as a sort of creative collaborator. And I think, again, when you learn those things, you become a much more effective instructor. And, and students dig that because they want to learn from somebody, one that they like. But they also want to learn from somebody who is transparent about their own journey. Great. Now, that's a great way to look at it. Now, what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> <laughs> Being on this computer from sunup to sundown. So I'm on sabbatical right now, so I'm not teaching. Mm, okay. But going between administrative work, and that takes a lot. I mean, that's a lot of work. Like when I get off from you, I have to literally look through. Um, I started this new program called the, 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 the Moody Media Scholars for Social Change. And these mm-hmm. will be scholars within my college who will create work centered around what they consider to be the most pressing issues in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and social justice within my college and to, where, to raise awareness. Anyway, I got to look through all the applications mm. and choose my five students, right? I just got out of a meeting before this meeting 
I'm actually directing the Martin Luther King Jr. March in San Antonio. I've been mm. doing it virtually for the first time. It's the biggest march of its kind in the country. A lot of people don't know that, but we have to pivot to a virtual celebration, right? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So that, uh, the administrative work, the creative work, I am a father and a husband, so I'm trying to make sure I spend time with the kid. We, we, you know, I've got all these science things we do, volcanoes, <laughs> making soap. We go into the playground, we're going outside, kicking the ball around, spending time with him, spending time with the wife, and sort of being a cheerleader for her, too, because she has her own thing going on. She's, a, she's an actress and a teaching artist, and she has a new podcast called The Black Artivist Collective, mm-hmm. so supporting her in that work. But yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of sort of moving parts, and then trying to find time to watch a movie every now and then, right? Yeah. And then read a book, right? And listen to a podcast and really just sort of fill myself with as much knowledge as I can. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I think not only am I an artist, but I'm a, like I said, I'm a social activist too. And so really making sure that I'm doing that work and finding meaningful ways to be engaged with the community and with the current moment I and mean, speaking truth to power, because I don't hold my tongue usually. And, you know, <laughs> and just, just doing the things that I have to do to be creative, to be active, and to remain sane. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, what about skill sets? What skill sets and and characteristics do you think are important to be a a successful filmmaker? I think you must have empathy, Hmm. right? I think you must check your ego at the door. You have to be vulnerable. You need to be transparent to have a tough skin because this is not easy. Right there, I get, I mean, I, we talk about the awards I've won, but if I literally showed you my list of how many film festivals and labs and financiers have rejected me, hmm. you'd probably be shocked. Because for every five, there are 50 that, I, that say no. For every one, I should say there are 50 that say no. Yeah, so you got to have a tough skin. I think you, you also have to have good organizational skills. Hmm. If you're not organized, everything will fall apart. Yeah. Um, you have to be punctual, right? And I, I'm not saying I don't come late sometimes, right? <laughs> but I think there is a, a sense of, even if, this is something I've learned. Because oftentimes I'm not the first person on set. I used to want to be the first person on set. And, you know, I still like being, but sometimes I have other stuff I have to do, right? Before I even get to set. But I will pick up the phone in a heartbeat and make a phone call so that when I show up, nobody's waiting on me. They're already working. I've told you where you need to be, what you need to do, but I have to know all that stuff, right? So again, every night I'm walking through the next day's work so I know what to say to someone. So I think you have to have that. You also have to be a team player. I always say, and I corrected myself earlier, it's never my film, it's our film. Mm. It's not Yaki's project, it's our project. You know, when I'm winning an award, you'll see I'm thanking everybody. Yeah. Because I don't, it's my brainchild, but I'm not making these things on my own. I'm not holding a camera. I'm not in front of a camera. I'm not painting a wall. I'm not editing these things. There's so much that I am not doing. I am leading the charge and I am supervising all of that, but I'm a collaborator and I listen to the people that I collaborate with. And I think, again, that goes to ego. If, if your ego is so big that you can't listen to anyone, you're not going to make it far. Yeah. And also I, I always say make compromises, You do have to make compromises, but you have to not make compromises that are going to get in the way of your moral compass. Okay. For example, sometimes it might be that you only have four days to shoot it, not five. Sometimes it might be you can't get the actor that you want. Sometimes it might be you thought you needed 50,000, but you can only get 30. Right. Those are, and, and are you willing to continue moving forward? Sometimes it might be 
that scene does not work and the editor is telling you. And those are some compromises you have to make. Now, there are certain things that you shouldn't compromise on. There are certain scenes that are key. Right. There are certain interactions that are key. There are certain films that people ask me to do or projects they ask me to be a part of that I can't in good conscience go forward with those because they go against everything that I stand for as a human being, right? And so I think you have to be willing to pick those battles. And again, you have to really be able to look around and say, what compromises am I willing to make and whatnot? But if you think that you're not going to make any compromises, you're wrong. Mm. The only person that's probably not able to make compromises right now, right, is Tyler Perry. He's a billionaire. Right. He can do what he wants. Right. Right. Own studio, but, everything. Yeah. Right. He got his thing. But us who are looking for someone else to give us money, there are certain compromises that you will make. And you have to be willing to do that. And anybody who tells you, and even Tyler, there are certain things he compromises he will have to make. Right. Oprah, there are certain compromises she will have to make. There are certain compromises that we have to make. But the question becomes, what are you willing to compromise? And then also, it takes a lot of sacrifice, right? I think for the first four years of being married, there were I hadn't even met a lot of my, my wife's family because I was always shooting something, right? She was at the, the family reunion. She was at the picnic. She was here. I couldn't go, right? I'm not saying that's good because you, know, you got <laughs> to figure that out too. Right. But there are sacrifices that have to be made and you be willing to make those sacrifices for the greater good. But then you also have to connect yourself. And that's the thing. You have to connect yourself with a partner who's cool with that. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people who are in the business whose relationships failed mm-hmm. because their partners didn't necessarily understand the time commitment. They had to be away so much and why they had to interact with those particular people. Right. And there's all of these things that come with this job that you have to have somebody who is open enough to allow you the space to do the work yeah. because if not you don't want to come home and have to deal with hell <laughs> right that's how that is yep so now can you talk about what you love about what you do yeah i love impacting people through art who is it amir baraka says that the artist's role is to raise the consciousness of the people and i believe that that is my duty that is my role James Baldwin describes the relationship between an artist and society as a relationship between two lovers, right? And if you love someone so much, you can correct them, right? If you love someone so much, you can speak truth to them. That is our duty as artists to the world, to love on them. Mm. But love isn't always, you know, flowers and candy, right? Sometimes it's reprimand. Sometimes Mm. it's yelling. Sometimes it's letting you know that that was completely out of line what you did. And so that's what I love about it is that I love creating art that makes people look at the world differently, that makes people interact with individuals that they've never had an opportunity to interact with in a different way, to look across the table at people that they've never had a conversation with and to see them as fully human, right? Not as stereotypes, not as what you've seen in the news, not as what society has indoctrinated you to believe about a certain group of people or a certain person, but, but the truth about them, right? The, yeah. their, their whole humanity. I love being able to offer art back to the world that does that. I love collaborating. I love working with actors. Um, I love, even when I get into the, I'm going to talk about teaching. I love inspiring students, right? I love Again, speaking truth to power, right? This diversity work is hard. It's so hard um, because you are dealing with individuals who 
one are actively trying to stop you or who don't necessarily understand the work that you do. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I love it. It is exhausting. It is emotionally devastating at times. Mm. It hurts at times, but I love it because I, I can sometimes see the light bulb go off. And then even if the light bulb doesn't go off, it's cool. I don't mind checking you and letting you know where you were wrong. Because sometimes that is a part of loving on you too. So yeah, man, there's so many aspects of what I do that I love, but I think ultimately I believe that as an artist, I have a duty. I believe that I have a gift that God gave me. I believe that I have a charge that God gave me. And I believe that it is my duty to walk this thing out until I drop dead. I believe so too. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what about on the flip side though? What you, I know you mentioned that the sacrifices that you have to make, you mentioned the number of rejections that you get along the way. What other challenges are out there for you or obstacles? Yeah, all of the above, right? I mean, I think it's really hard when you spend time away from the family trying to finish that screenplay because you want to get into that lab and you've sacrificed again Thanksgiving and you sacrificed that vacation and then you get rejected. Ooh, that's hard, mm. right? Because you could have been spending time with the fam. You could have been going out with your boys, right? There's so many times where I want to just go and hang out. I don't have the time to do it. I can't do it because my mm. mind is always out in work or in the creative form. So that's hard, but you have to find balance. And that's something that I'm learning. I turned 40 on Friday and I'm still learning about balance. What does balance really look like when you are trying to create a legacy, right? And when you're trying to create an empire, is there a such thing as balance? I know there is, and I found it, but I'm still finding it, right? I'm still finding aspects, discovering aspects of it, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. You sacrifice a lot of money, just straight up. It's hard, especially being a black filmmaker. It's really, really difficult because you all oftentimes feel like before you are justifying or pitching the work, you have to justify yourself. Because when you walk into a room, and this is just, these are facts. When a white filmmaker walks into a room, there are certain things that they see that when you walk into a room, they don't see. They don't always see your artistic sensibility. They don't always see your genius. They don't always see you. It doesn't matter how many awards you've won, by the way. Mm. For some reason, you still have to prove yourself over and over and over and over again. And it becomes exhausting and you want to choke somebody <laughs> because you get tired of having to have the same conversations about why it is important to tell this narrative about Black people. Why is it important that this representation of Black people is on screen? Why is it important that you fund a movie about Black people that does not have to do with them being shot down by the cops, right? There are other parts of our humanity that we must see and celebrate. And I'm not, again, I'm a filmmaker who makes the roughest, rawest work you're gonna find. Mm. So I'm not talking about sanitizing the work. I am talking about diversifying the works so that we have a catalog that looks very different. That's hard because you have to do that all the time. It's hard balancing the creative and the academic sometimes. Mm. Because this administrative work is tough. It, it is all encompassing. It takes a lot out of you. And so finding that balance of making sure that you remain creative while you're also being effective on the flip side with the, the teaching and the administrative work mm-hmm. is really difficult as well. Because again, that goes into time management. If I'm spending 10 hours a day doing that and I need to spend another four doing that, that's 14 hours out of day. So then when am I going to spend time with the family? Right? So again... Finding days. One of the things that I learned early on in teaching was that you have to set boundaries 
there are days that are for you all. And then there are days that are for me. Because if I'm not creating, then I'm not effective. I tell people that all the time. If you want to take all of my time on the creative and the teaching, then you're not going to have a really good administrator and you're not going to have an effective professor. Because there is a part of me that is not fulfilled. And if if I'm not fully fulfilled, then I cannot come in and be effective in these other aspects of the work that you want me to accomplish. I can't do it. And so I let everyone know that, you know, there are days where I just got to go away and do my thing. You know, before the pandemic, I had this thing where I would go to a hotel for three days and just write. You know, I don't have any family obligations. I'm not worried about the work. Don't bother me. This is about Yaki's creative work. And I think you need that time away. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot that, yeah, you sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Hmm. All right. Well, happy belated birthday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's this Friday. So oh, this Friday early. coming Thank up. You. Okay. Well, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank All you. right. Thank you. <laughs> and can you talk about any memorable moment that sticks out to you in your career? Man, you know, it's interesting. I think I'll never forget. I made this film. It was my pre-thesis film, which is basically the third film you make in film school. Okay. And it was about a soldier who comes back from Iraq and his struggle with PTSD. And I will never forget at the end of, we have end of semester screenings where we show the work to the public and it was packed, I'll I'll never forget it. And played the film. And that was the first time I remember getting not only just a standing ovation, but I mean, it was such a thunderous (laughs) applause that at some point I was like, hey (laughs) y'all, stop. And it wasn't even about the applause. It was that I knew then that the work had affected people on a, a much deeper level that they were not. Cause I knew the work, don't get me wrong. It's entertaining, but it wasn't, that was not, not a smile. It's a hard pill to swallow, mm. but the work had so touched people's lives that the only reaction they could give was this. And there were tears. Mm. Um, and I think that was the moment where I was like, man, I'm not crazy because I think throughout the process of making that work, there were people who had tried to discourage me from making that film because of how hard hitting it was because we were actually in the middle of a war Mm. when I made it. Why are you making a film about a war? We're in the middle of it. Like, what are you saying about, there are all of these questions, but I said, no, this is the the film I want to make. So I'm going to make it. And I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm doing good. I'm doing good here. And then when that film went to Cannes, right? I mean, that my dream, I'll never forget when I first came into film school, I said, man, one day, I'm sure this will never happen. One day, I just want to play at the Cannes Film Festival. Because mm-hmm. there was a guy who at that point was a star DP. He was shoot beautiful work in his film screen there. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And then I applied to that program. And then they were like, oh, you know, this year we're only taking five movies. They changed it. Because we're going to fly all the filmmakers out. And it was big. I was like, man, there's no way. And I remember I got the call. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> you know, come on out to France. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, oh. and that that felt really, really good. And there was another moment, I, you know, with my thesis film. And I'm telling you early moments, but these moments have been sort of replicated or duplicated throughout the career. But I'll never forget my thesis film was about a, a father who returns home and he is trying to make amends with his son. Mm-hmm. His son rejects him his son accidentally kills someone and he takes the rap. He literally has his son run away. He takes a gun, he wipes his son's finger, the whole nine, he takes the rap and goes back to prison because he felt like as a father, that's one of the things that I could do to show my son that I was actually here for him. And that changes the, the trajectory of this young man's life. 
And I'll never forget being at the American Black Film Festival with that movie and being in the restroom and having these men, this is weird to say it this way, but surround me, mm-hmm. literally. And, and tell me not only how profoundly impacted they were, but like this is making me think about myself as a father. Mm. That, that I've not had a good relationship with my son, that I've, I feel like I've probably neglected him. And I'm going to go call him. I'm going to, I'm going to email him. I'm going to reach out. And again, that, those are the moments where you realize that award or no award, none of that matters, but that's what this thing is all about, that we see each other in a new way, that we want to mend fences, that we look at ourselves in the mirror and we begin to repair the broken pieces, right? I think it's a Toni Morrison quote where she says, and I can't remember exactly what, but I believe he says, set the, the broken pieces and made me whole. Mm. And this is Paul D. And yeah, I think film has the ability to, to take the broken pieces and make people whole again. And, and yeah. when my films do that or play a small part in creating that wholeness, yeah, it, that, that touches me more than any award that I could ever win. That's awesome. That's great to hear. <laughs> That's great to hear. Well, hey, Miyaki, we're, we're at the end of this interview. This has been great. I'm going to go to a quick hitter session where I ask you questions for fun for people to get to know you a little bit better. But okay. before I do that, though, I just want to see if there's anything else you would like to discuss or anything you felt like I might have left off asking you. No, I mean, the only thing I'll say is please, everybody, follow my website, exodusfilmworks.com. Find me on social media. Support the work. You know, I think as artists, especially independent artists, we just need the support of the public. Sometimes just a, a kind word keeps you going when, when oftentimes you feel like you can't go on because things are not going the way that you want them to go. And so just reach out, social media, website, share the work. Let me know what you think about the work. And yeah, just support me and, and other artists who are doing their thing. Nice. All right. All right. So let's go to these quick hitter questions. All right. First one, what's your favorite sports team? <laughs> I don't watch sports. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. No problem. All right. <laughs> favorite movie or show then? This would be interesting. Oh, man. There's so many. I think right now one of my favorites uh, uh, shows would have to be Lovecraft Country. Oh, okay. Um, Which is, I mean, I think it's amazing the way they're dealing with like, you know, racism and social justice and then blending sci-fi and and history and and love and loss and all those things. I just think it's an amazing, amazing show. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, And then one of my, oh, it's beautiful. And then my one of my favorite films, I already said it earlier, is City of God. Yeah. Um, I just think the way that film was put together in terms of he went into the favela and built an acting school and taught these kids how to act. And, and then I just think some of the innovative ways that they shot the film and the innovative ways that they blended what I consider to be documentary elements with voiceover, with narration, with these very sort of highly cinematic moments. I just think all of that is so beautifully done. And, and every time I watch it, I, I see something new. Yeah. So that's probably my favorite. Yeah. It came on a couple of weeks ago and I watched the whole thing again. It's great. Great. Favorite musical artist or group? Man, right now I am I am so in love with this guy named Toby, and I don't oh, know yes. Toby's accent. Toby and Giway, I think yeah. that's the name. Yeah, man, yep. like 
what he's doing right now in this space, like I think he just released the pandemic. I think it's called the Pandemic Chronicles or Pandemic Album, the Pandemic Experience. I think it's yeah. called. But anyway, just the work that he's doing and like the way he's he's using his voice to comment on like social issues and and our current moment. And then he's being innovative with what he's Very doing. Very innovative. Bl- right, the blending of like hip hop and R and B and jazz. I mean, I'm hearing so many influences in that work, and I'm just loving what he's doing and I'm loving the way that they're shooting his work. I actually reached out to the guy who shot him was like, man, y'all doing some dope <laughs> stuff right here. It's just amazing. And and I hope who's, that brother goes far. Who's shooting his work? I cannot think of the dude's name <laughs> right now. I reached out to him on IG. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, mean, I know, I agree. Amazing stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. One of my favorites too right now. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Bro, I went to Cuba. Mm three years ago and it was amazing i mean mm. we just won the history of the place it's like yeah. you, you you're almost like thrown into a time capsule <laughs> and, and it's like man these cars are from the 50s <laughs> these buildings i mean just the people the culture it was just it was a beautiful beautiful spot the food mm-hmm. was amazing so yeah I, I was say cuba all right and talking about food last one favorite food or drink food or drink man i eat a lot uh <laughs> I, even say that. I don't eat a whole lot uh, but man, it depends. But I have to say, Thai food is probably one of the things I eat oh, all the time because I'm a meat and vegetable kind of guy. I try to yeah. watch what I eat. And I said I'll pick up a hamburger every now and then because I do. But I try to stay away from it as much as possible. Yeah. But yeah, Thai food, I love a good Thai dish. Drink, if you talk about alcoholic beverage, yeah. um, <laughs> I am a whiskey guy. All right. Um, you give me a good whiskey or scotch on the rocks and I'm good to go. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, hey, Yaki, man, this has been great. Like I said, uh, learned a lot and man, I love your work. Your work is so impactful. And I know awards aren't everything, but you can tell from all the awards that you've gotten, the days that are named after you, that that shows <laughs> you that the, the work that you're doing and your work makes us whole again, like you said. So man, keep doing what you're doing. Congrats on all your accomplishments. Thank you for coming on to this podcast. And once again, can you tell people about Exodus Filmworks, the website they can go to and the social media platforms where they can go to yeah. find out more about you and your work? Yeah. So first, thank you for having me. This was an honor. It was a great conversation. So thank you for inviting me on. But yeah, like I said, ExodusFilmworks.com. That's my website. We just launched maybe two or three months ago. But it has most of my catalog is on there. So you can learn about each film. You can learn about the awards. You can learn about what I'm doing next. Any articles that I've written or been written about me, all that stuff lives on there. And then on social media, you can usually find me like on IG. I'm at Yaki80. Twitter, I think I'm at Yaki80, and on Facebook, I'm Yaki Filmmaker, and you can find me there. I'm pretty active on there as well. I'm always posting stuff and some political stuff, some stuff about the work. I'm always posting something because, like I said, I'm very politically involved as well. So, yeah, just find me on any of those channels. Great. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. This was great. Oh, good, good, good. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.